Today's guest, TEDx speaker Ed Goyette, shares about connecting with your kids through the power of asking. Ed tells about how his dad inspired him to ask boldly and start living a dream he never could have imagined. And now he's teaching his kids to do the same as well. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Welcome to the show. This is episode 141, and we're your hosts, Danielle and Justin. Hey. And this episode, we're talking to Ed. Ed Goyette. Oh my gosh, TEDx speaker. I always feel so honored when we have TEDx speakers on the show because I feel like I learn so much more. Yeah. Hey, before we get to the interview, okay, a couple announcements. If you have not checked out the seven secrets of legendary marriages, wait, like, they're secrets. They're secrets. Or should they be? We're exposing in? the secrets, <laughs> sharing them for the whole world because everyone Once can what? and should have a legendary marriage. So check it out. Legendarymarriage.com slash seven secrets. The number seven secrets. And if you want to be talking about awesome stuff during the week, including the podcast, including just inspiration and encouragement from other couples, check out legendarymarriage.com slash community for our free Facebook community. Yeah. There you go. Super awesome. All right. Let's get to Ed. So he's going to share this amazing story about his daughter and how they just um, boldly ask. And I feel like as a parent... This warms my heart and challenges me at the same time. Yes. Justin, didn't you find this challenging? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're uh, like, I'm uh, already I mean, ama- an amazing parent. Uh, so. I'm, I'm pretty amazing if I do say so myself. You no, are. Um, you are. I, I think it is. We, we, one of the things that, that kind of gets stamped out of kids at an early age is creativity and, and just the innocence of asking. And mm. I think uh, you, you'll see. Listen to the listen to the interview. All right, let's get to our conversation with Ed Goyette. We are so excited to have Ed Goyette on the show today. He is a master storyteller and he has just lived an extraordinary life through the power of asking and then taking action. And it all started um, when he was a kid. And now he's building into his kids as well. And you are not going to believe the story of transformation that happened just by him dreaming, asking questions and taking action. Yeah. Um, he's a TEDx uh, speaker. He, uh, you will love to check him out on YouTube on his TEDx talk. Um, so glad to have you on the show. Welcome, Ed. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Ed. So we have to know, like, I know there's this crazy story. So as a kid, you know, did you, were you a big dreamer? Were your family members, like your mom and dad, were they always inciting you to dream big? Well, it's funny. I was kind of the oddball kid out of, uh, out of my, out of our three. So I was always the big dreamer and I was always the kid who was making up stories and making up songs and kind of 
kind of seeing things a little bit beyond uh, my realm of reality. And um, my parents, I was so blessed to have two incredible, incredible parents. They're actually they're celebrating 66 years, I think now, of marriage. I saw them the other day. Whoa. And, uh, there's one thing in particular, they always encouraged me. Um, never, ever put put me down and never ever put limits on what I could do. And they modeled um, a bunch of things. They modeled love, they modeled stability, uh, they modeled uh, communication. And there was one thing, my dad was always the guy who uh, had a joke or was trying something new. And he experimented a lot with just different things around the house and he always was that fix it guy you know, that I always get to watch and say, geez, here's a guy that, that takes things upon himself and, and relies on himself and his own abilities. And when he doesn't know something, he learns it. Mm. And that was just such a big lesson for me. And he, he was, um, he was a, the coach of my little league team and we were the Mets. Okay. And I, I'm just shocked in this moment when you're saying like, you're the dreamer who's like making up songs and doing all this thing that you played baseball because usually if you think of like the dreamer, the, the, the singer, the storyteller, you don't usually think that they're an athlete. I don't know. Don't you? Wow. Justin, well, Justin's like, don't put, Justin is like, don't put me in a box because he's the dreamer. He's the songwriter, the storyteller. So he was, uh, were you an athlete as a kid, honey? Yeah. 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 I mean, I I think, I, I think, uh, there are different kinds of athlete athlete of how we live out that aspect, particularly between you and I, how we, how we live that. Baseball wasn't my real sport. My, my, my true love, it was tennis. So I was the kid. Yeah. That's Justin. He played tennis too. It was, it was so much fun. I, I became very, very involved in tennis. And we had a tennis court of less than a block away from my house. So at seven, seven, eight years old, I was getting up at six in the morning and going hitting 200 serves at 7 a.m. Wow. Out of, a, out of a laundry basket. So I was really involved in, uh, in tennis, it was so much fun, so much fun playing the racket. See, I, I would do that, except I only had three balls. <laughs> <laughs> my my parents were like, "No, you could have one bot, one thing, you know, canister. what is it? One canister of balls, and and use that when they're worn out. We'll get you some new ones. Give them to the dog, and then move on." Okay, so you had this baseball team that you played on as in Little League, and your dad was the coach. First of all, amazing. I'm already in love with your parents. Yeah, so my dad's the coach, and he has this idea one year that, um, that the league had just upgraded our uniforms. So they, we went from those blue polyester uniforms with the red lettering that all the kids in the 70s had. Uh, they were like pajamas. <laughs> yeah. They upgraded, they got, a, they got a couple of bucks and they upgraded to the professional looking, the, the replica uniforms yeah. for, the, uh, for the kids. So here we are in full on New York Mets uniforms, but they ran out of money when it came to the hats. So that bugged oh. my dad because he always like, if you're going to do something, do it right. Guy, greatest generation guy. So he gets this idea in his head. And he writes a letter to Joe Torre, the, the manager of the New York Mets. And it, it says, 
it actually have a copy of the letter here someplace and, and says coach in the Mets, is there anything you could do to give our kids some inspiration and maybe help us out a little bit? Didn't ask for the hats, just said, is there anything you can do to help us out? So one day, I didn't even know he did this. Nobody knew he wrote this letter. So one day I come home, my sister and I come home from school and there are these two big boxes, dusty boxes on our, on our porch. And they're like saltine boxes, like the, the ones that they would package multiple packs of saltines in. And, you know, it's way pre-Amazon, so nothing ever gets, nothing ever gets delivered to your house. You know, we're talking 1979. It's a big deal. We're staring at these boxes for, it seemed like 19 hours. I'm sure it was 40 minutes, but my dad comes <laughs> home. He opens the boxes and there's the, there's 30 uh, of the spring training hats from the New York Mets spring training camp. So we had, hat. we had, we had all these hats and with a note from Joe Torre saying, Hey, what, good luck on your season. I hope this helps your team. So of course, you know, true movie style, we go on to win the championship. We go undefeated. Everybody's jealous. Oh, of yes! It was the magic like, hats. You could not write this. You couldn't write this. Um, Tell me you have that hat somewhere. Oh, I have, yeah, I have that hat. Of course I do. Okay. Of course I do. So the so we go on and we, and we and we win the championship and and it's it's wonderful. It's funny that oh not funny but it's it's amazing that those lessons and, and the different parts of lessons and how we model things to our kids, how they just kind of get tucked away and yeah. wait for a while. Now I've always asked for what I wanted and I've always asked a little probably more than than most. So if I saw somebody who could help me, I was never shy about saying, hey, can you give me some advice or can you maybe help me out with, with this or that? And I think from being a creative kid, I carried that into my adult life mm-hmm. until I have my kids, I have my daughter, she's seven years old, this is 2010. Okay, wait, let me ask you something real quick. Do you think your dad had any thought or intention when he when he did that, like, you know what? This would be a good life lesson. I'm gonna write Joe Tori a letter, like, and then my kid will learn that, you know, like do you think he had any thought in it whatsoever or he thought, eh, might as well. I I think he was more focused on I want to inspire my team. Mm, yeah. What can I do? What can I do to make this situation the best and it's funny it's another it's another thing that i carried through to adult adulthood that i would say to my kids it'd be a you know those lazy afternoons where everybody's looking around and everybody's bored and you're just wondering what to do and i came up with this thing that i said okay what's the absolute most fun we could possibly have right now what's the best thing we could do right now and that became a thing in our household and i think again modeling from the from my parents of my dad looked at the situation and said, how can I make this better? What, what can I do right now? What action can I take right now to make this spectacular? Oh my mm. gosh. That's so cool. Wow, like, yeah. I'm one, I'm like, does he know now, like the legend that he has oh, produced? Like he, he gets it. Absolutely does. And, and that's a story that I tell in the TED Talk. And he didn't know I was going to tell the story. Oh. So I, I had him and my mom in the audience. And, and he did not know, you know, I, I kind of on the slide collected all the images of the things and 
I was trying to contact Joe Torrey's office, which I came really close to getting a hold of him. I left him a couple of voicemails. I actually got his private number, um, but we weren't able to connect in time. But um, it was it was such a proud moment for me and such a, a heartfelt moment for me that I knew that he was up on the balcony somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I had my 13 minutes to to do the TED Talk. And, and it was one of those moments in life where you just go, things are right and things are amazing. Yeah. And it was just, I'll never forget that moment when I threw his picture up on the screen as the, in his, you know, with the, with the whole team, because he's so proud of that team. It's, yeah. it's like 29 Ship Park minor league Mets. Like that's, that's one thing he's 86 years old now. And if you, if you ever get him talking about that, you'd probably be in for a long conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh. He was probably beaming up there. Like oh, yeah. my boy. Yeah, we had some tears going after after the talk when we uh, when we met. Yeah, so was- how do you hold it together like on a TEDx stage when you're having such an emotional moment when you knew that your dad was like totally getting surprised by it and like how do you like keep it all together? It's all focus, and the thing with the thing with a with a TEDx talk is you you rehearse it over and over and over and over again. And- sure. Yeah, it, it was the it was the type of thing where you have one shot at this thing, and that's it's not a small amount of pressure there because you walk up on the stage, and you're like, I have one shot at this, and this is going to be my TED talk that is going to be on the TED website forever. Yeah, and you try to put that out of your, out of your <laughs> and the guy it that I live had, in infamy, <laughs> the guy that I had to follow invented a new kind of carbon that could solve global warming. So no sure. pressure to follow okay. that who's a super genius. And then it's like, here's Ed, he asked for stuff. So uh, was- well, <laughs> see, that's the thing is you're all about taking action. Right. So why wouldn't you just get out there and do it? So then was- you, you also shared the story about how it kind of like, it was almost like a pay it forward kind of situation yeah. where then as you, your daughter, is seven years old she comes to you and it's kind of like the whole thing plays out again it, it's it, again you you couldn't write this in a in a movie i was sitting there she was seven years old she should have been in bed at seven o'clock and nine o'clock she comes flying on the stairs and exclaims quite enthusiastically that she wants to be a cartoonist she's figured out what her she's going to do in her life and i know what i want to do i'm going to be a cartoonist and you're like, go to bed. Awesome. Go the to bed. Stan awesome. Lee, right? <laughs> you, you would think that would be the you would think that would be the the reaction. But the passion that she said that with mm. unlocked the seven-year-old in me. Mm. And a lot of things clicked into place at that moment. If I had to like back it up, like I wasn't thinking consciously at this at this time, obviously. You just know, like I, your dad. It's just like you're just doing what you're doing. No, tell me about this. Why do you want to be a cartoonist? And she had a million different reasons why she wanted to be a cartoonist. And oh, they they can do their art and they're funny and they tell stories. And she was just like that seven-year-old lit up. And I realized that now, and again, looking back, when we're seven, we have all the dreams and we have all the enthusiasm, we have all that passion and energy that we want to do stuff but we don't have the money, the time, the power. We don't have any of that. You can, barely, you can barely read. Right. And, <laughs> and 
oh, I want to be an astronaut or I want to do all these different things, but but you don't have the mechanisms and the power to get them done. But here we are as adults, we have the money, the time, the power, and the mechanisms, but we don't do those things. So mm-hmm. that gave me a lifeline back to my seven-year-old self. And so many things clicked in. I'm like, wow, we can actually do this. Why wouldn't I take my seven-year-old who was jump, literally jumping up and down, talking about cartooning, and why wouldn't I try to do something with this? Mm-hmm. So after probably 45 minutes, I sent her to bed. We talked about cartooning for 45 minutes. I sent her to bed. Wow. Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have any that much to say about cartooning, but yeah, I'm sure she did most of the talking. We completely did. And I, I remember sitting on my couch and out loud, I said, out loud, I said, I got to find the cartoonist for this girl to talk to. So I opened up my laptop and I found this award-winning cartoonist out in Western Massachusetts named Hillary Price. If you want to see a great cartoon, Rhymes with Orange, uh, she just really witty, great writing. Um, just, I can't say enough about her or the cartoon. And so you took it upon yourself to reach out. Right. Well, okay. no, I didn't reach out. I found the person. Okay. Found and then I was just as excited going to bed that night too, because now I had something to share with my daughter. She got up the next day and I said, no, wow, we found this. I found a cartoonist and we started looking through her stuff. I'm like, well, why don't we write her a letter? and see if you can if you can meet her. So Noelle grabs a pen and paper, you know, maybe a crayon, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, write her a letter and tell her everything you told me last night. So she writes her this one-page letter, tell her about how much she loves cartooning and she wants to be a cartoonist and how she loves her cartoon. And we send it to Hillary Price. About three weeks later, we get a letter back with a little cartoon on it. And it's an invitation out to her studio. Wow. Awesome. So now I'm sitting here going, this just got 10 times more fun. We're going to go meet a cartoonist, go out to her studio. And we were there for a good three hours. She answered every question, gave her an art lesson, gave her all like the the swag that she had gotten from her, her award ceremony that Noelle still has. And we left there and, and I'm driving and I just see this smile on my little girl's face in the back seat. And it's, it's the perma smile. It's not going anywhere. She's just like, just beaming. Yeah. And so many things consciously clicked in. Cause I'm like, look at the, the self-esteem she has, look at the confidence she has, look at the excitement she has. And I just saw all of like what you want in your kids. I just saw that mm. in my back seat. And I, thought to myself we need to do this again so i said hey noel how would you like to make this a project why don't we make this a father-daughter project and she goes what do you mean i said well anytime something inspires you or if you are really interested in something why don't we write some letters why don't we like do this and the smile got bigger and we agreed right then on the way back to to new hampshire from massachusetts that we were going to make this a project little did i know that i that this would be my life calling. Wow. So before this moment with Noelle, had you always been a guy that was like, hey, I'm just going to take action and, you know, throw caution to the wind, see what happens, what's the worst? Were you that type of guy? 
I pretty much, pretty much. Uh, I've, I'm an entrepreneur, so I own a couple of coffee houses. I've had, I think I've launched eight businesses in my life, eight or nine. Um, so I've um, kind of a different version of my dad, where my dad worked for Raytheon, and he had the stable job, and he did the he did the Greatest Generation thing, where you provide for your family. And I took those, I took the parts of my dad um, that experimented, that reached for different things. And I think that's the part I took. And I was, I've always been that person who said, well, why not? What's the mm -hmm. worst that could happen? No, works mm -hmm. out great sometimes and works out horribly some other times, but. Okay. Oh, I you know it, man. I'll tell you what, <laughs> we, we've hit, we've hit some of those places where it didn't work out so well. Like there, we've had two, well, or, two I'm or three of those. Like, so you're married. Like how has um, the, you know, the ups and downs and like, Hey, let's just try this. It sounds like it, it might be kind of risky, but it doesn't sound like maybe you're putting everything on the line, but like, how do you and your wife interact when, you know, there's this big idea or, Hey, let's take action on this. Is she like right there with you or how does that play? It's really interesting. They, they say that opposites track. And I think if I didn't have the particular woman that I've spent and I, I was telling you earlier, we're, we're 25 years uh, in September. If I didn't have this particular woman by my side, I probably wouldn't have been able to accomplish a fraction of what I have. Because she, uh, the trust that she, that she has in me, um, it's, it's daunting sometimes, to be honest, because mm -hmm. she has so much faith and trust in my ability to do whatever I say I'm going to do. And I'm quite the salesman be honest so um i'm glasses like 99 full guy um and we'll figure out the one percent if it ever happens so she's um gotten quite used to hey honey i have an idea okay what's the idea and i look to her for, for feedback and counsel and and sometimes she's like i don't quite understand it but if this is your thing and you are confident in it i'll support you in it Mm. so she's an occupational therapist um so she works at a hospital she's brilliant she's a pediatric ot so she has that other whole side of the brain that i don't have so she's helping kids you know get through a, a whole range of of things from autism to you know asperger's to adhd to whatever it is and she's brilliant brilliant at that so she is the um she's kind of the foundation and the stability and i'm the i'm the guy that does this mm. you know? Hey there, it's Danielle and Justin. We'll get back to this week's show in just a moment, but we are super excited to share a brand new opportunity for you to invest in your marriage. I mean, you've got a good life, great kids, a nice job, a nice house, but you find yourself stuck in the roommate zone. Dun, dun, dun. You know the roommate zone, right? Oh, yeah. It's that place where you're wrapped up in the business of life and the busyness and missing real intimacy and connection. It's a lousy place to be. And eventually it leads to a crisis. And the truth is, isolation, that's the enemy. Every couple struggles sometimes, and we all need the coaching, resources, and community to come around and support us. Now, we realize not everyone can afford 
personal coaching or counseling. And so we wanted to make it super easy for everyone to be able to invest consistently in their marriage and get the coaching and the resources and the support they need and have some fun along the way. Of course, that's why we've created Legendary Marriage Tribe. You can get transformational life coaching, awesome online training and resources, and of course, a powerful community that will support and encourage you. So if you're ready to transform your marriage and your family forever, find out more over at legendarymarriage.com slash tribe. Now, back to the show. All right, Ed, how did you and your wife meet? Uh, we met on a blind date. Oh, really? Really strange. My sister, my oldest sister, Sharon, I have two sisters. My oldest sister was working at a bank and I had just started my first company. I was doing uh, a pressure washing company with my cousin uh, when we were in college, just getting out of college. And she said, oh, I get this, this really cute girl that just started and she's really fun and sweet and you should meet her. And I was not looking for a relationship at that time because I had a business to start. Sure. I was and I said, no, I'm not interested. Oh, I really think you should meet her. I really think you should meet her. So long story short, just to appease my sister from bugging me, I right. said, okay, <laughs> give, me, you know, give me your number. We chatted. I'm like, oh, she seems nice. And, and we ended up going on a, on a blind date down in Boston. And I was like, oh, wow, this, this might work out. And uh, here we are 25 years later. <laughs> yes. Wow. And you would owe it all to your sister. And I, and I, I also owe it to my wife's poor eyesight because the, <laughs> after, after my wife, after my wife agreed, and, and she loves telling the story, by the way, after she agreed to go out with me, you know, from this new woman that she just met a week ago, um, my, my sister showed her my terrible high school picture. Oh no. And the way that my wife tells it is like, I was like, Oh, what did I just get myself into? I mean, it was like the full on <laughs> not good picture of me. So she wasn't expecting anything spectacular at that, at that point. It was just hilarious. You set the, and the low bar and then you exceeded the expectations. Well, I was going to say, and the moral of the story is make sure that your family members all have recent and good photographs of you. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So Pam, it's kind of funny. Like, I feel like I resonate with Pam, like early on in our marriage, like, so Justin's idea guy, idea, 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 idea. I've had like three ideas sitting here. (laughs) And I would learn like, how, how am I going to navigate this as a wife? Like, because for me, I can get like, if somebody cast a vision out there, I can get a hundred percent invested in it or a hundred percent terrified about it. But usually like your wife, like I trust, like he's a good salesperson. I trust him. Like, okay, if you really think it's the work, it's going to work. But then as I moved on later in our marriage, I learned that I'm there to sometimes be the brake pedal. <laughs> because we can't do all the hundred ideas. So sometimes I have to go, okay, that's a nice idea, honey. Maybe let's put that on the back burner. And like, if it comes to be, it comes to be, but right now let's not do that. And yeah, it was tricky. I don't know how she, how she came to that realization, but I feel like it was, it was a turning point for me when I was like, okay, like, we're two very, very different people. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. And, and that's why it works. That's why it works because you think about it, if you were the idea person too, you'd be fighting over which, all right, whose idea do we go? Yes. yes, exactly. And then there's nobody put the brakes on. Yeah. No. So I want to know how did the experiment go with Noel? Like, did you guys keep doing this? Oh, it was, it was incredible that the year that she was from eight to 10, I would say, um, I have to count how many letters she wrote, but she wrote letters to uh, the, the conductor of the Boston Symphony who invited her backstage and she interviewed uh, Keith, Lock- uh, Keith Lockhart. So she interviewed him. Uh, what? So she wants to interview them. Oh yeah. So she full on showed up with a list of 10 questions. These are the things I want to know because you inspire me and I want to know more about this. Wow. So when she would be sitting there, like perfect example, you know, Highlights Magazine, the, the kids magazine. Yeah, so I can get that. Yeah, she's flipping through Highlights Magazine one day and she says, Daddy, you know what? I wonder how they make this. There's a lot of work that goes into this magazine. And I said, well, find out who the person is that makes it and ask them how they make it. So she wrote a letter to the, the edit, uh, editor-in-chief of Highlights Magazine who wrote her back and invited her out to Homestale, Pennsylvania. They put us up in one of their writer's cabins for free. What? We were there for seven hours. She brought her through. She had set up meetings with every department head of Highlight Magazine. <laughs> and then she took us out to lunch. Whoa. So we we wrote letters to, I don't know if you're a jazz fan, but Dave Brubeck, who was a jazz legend. Very um, Mm-hmm. He invited us backstage at one of his shows, and that was great because my dad, he was a, a big musical influence and hero of my dad. So I got to pull my dad in, and he met the guy who created all the music of his youth, basically. Wow. Um, Bobby McFerrin. Uh, she wrote a letter to Bobby McFerrin. Uh, Bobby called me as we were walking into his show. So it's, it's really odd when I missed a, a phone call from a from a area code, I, I'm like, what's this 401 area code? And I called it back and Bobby McFerrin answers. <laughs> and he says, hello. And I was like, hey, I missed a call from this number. He says, this is Bobby McFerrin. And I just, I just wrote, read your daughter's letter and I'd love to have her come backstage after the show and, and chat with me. And she's just such a, such a bright light. And, and it's funny because when, when we went backstage after the show, and I get to meet him. I said, geez, I was really surprised that you called, you know, that you called me. And he said, why? And I said, well, you never call me. <laughs> you know, like it's, I never get a call from Bobby McFerrin. And uh, he was, he was, he was just a really delightful, delightful guy. But I'm, I'm trying to think, we wrote letters. I mean, she would do um, just a whole host of letters. If something came across her, her, you know, her radar and she would, stop and say we need to write a letter to this one or that one but the the most incredible thing that happened was she started getting into fashion design and my daughter was just born knowing how to draw she just has always been nine years ahead of herself with with her art and she started designing dresses and stuff like that so she said i think i want to write a letter to a to a fashion designer so I did a bunch of research and I found this woman named Michelle Smith, who was the founder of a, of a design uh, a brand called Millie, Millie of New York. 
And you subsequently, she she was the one who designed the dress that Michelle Obama wore into the Smithsonian. What? Okay. That big, that big flowing dress. I actually we saw that on the runway. It was incredible. <gasps> she writes this letter to Michelle Obama. I mean, not to Michelle Obama to Michelle Smith. She's next, and Michelle few, Obama. Right. A few a uh, few weeks later, Michelle sends her this big box of all these different things, like fabrics and and just crazy all kinds of stuff from her show, and as well as two invitations to New York Fashion Week. What? So, so there we are now. My daughter and I are backstage at a New York Fashion Week show, runway show, and she's introduced. She's in uh, interviewing. The designer. Wow. Now, how old is she at this point? She's eight years old at this time. Are you ever looking around going, what on earth life am I living? It, that's, that was me 100% of the time I was there. Because A, what do you wear backstage at New York Fashion Week? <laughs> in New Hampshire, right? So I didn't know. Talk about being out of your... Yeah. Of your so I walked back there and I, I was like, okay, well... You can't you can't go wrong with a suit. So I had the suit and everything. Well, it turns out that the only guys who wear suits backstage are owners of fashion labels. Because it's a trade. <laughs> Everybody's dressed down. They're in khakis, they're in t-shirts, they're in because they're all working a trade show, basically. Yeah. So I walk back, you know, all and I'm like, oh. And the people look at me like, who's that? Like, I'm just this dude from New Hampshire who brought his daughter down to introduce, you know, to introduce her to her. But she she stood there and asked her her 10 questions. And Entertainment Tonight was waiting very impatiently next to her, trying to get a minute with the show. And here's my little, here's my eight-year-old going, where do you get your fabrics? And how can I be a designer? And just adorable. You know, we had yeah, a very- sure. But that that relationship was continued. So her and I go to Fashion Week every year now, twice a year. We go in February and, and September. So what? Fe- oh yeah. So now she volunteers. Um, she volunteers for another series of shows. We always go over to see Michelle. That's cool. It was it once she got that bug. Then she was looking at other designers as well. Yeah. And one year, we th- I think we went to 14 shows down there of different letters that she had written, different connections she had made. Uh, she made a connection in David's Bridal when she was nine. Um, she made a connection with uh, Jenny Packham, who dresses the royal family over, over in London. So if you ever see when they bring out, you know, they'll present a baby to the world, they're always wearing a Jenny Packham dress. So at 12 years old, Noelle worked at Jenny Packham show and she was taking their Instagram photos and checking people in. And it does was, she, does she realize that this is like a crazy life that no, does. no she's child 16, lives. She's 16 now. And she realizes now how special that time was. I mean, back then it was just stuff we did and she was very, um, honored to be in front of all these people, but she didn't get the magnitude of what was occurring at that at that time. You know, when you have Jeannie Packham take time out of her day after the show to answer eight fashion questions, that doesn't happen. Yeah. 
I, I'm I'm just struck by this, uh, by the whole story, because I think we spend so much energy just trying to keep kids alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep. get them to school, get the homework done, get them home, get them to bed, get them to eat something that isn't pizza, exactly. you know, these things. And to, to, to miss moments like you're just moments of of really engaging and um, teaching them to follow interests and see what's possible there. Um, I, I'm just, I'm absolutely struck by that, by how guilty I am at times of, uh, you know what, if, if Allie came down the stairs at 930 at night on a school night and was like, I'm going to be a fashion designer or I'm going to be a scientist or whatever. I'm like, you're going to be in trouble if you don't get your butt back in bed right the frick now. And trust me, I've done a ton of that. I've done a ton of that. All, what it really is is a mindset shift. And, and, it's, and it's not that hard of a mindset, mindset shift to make, to be honest. I was blessed with, with an example that stayed inside of me for a very long time. And that inflection point was just, bam, here it is. So I was very blessed with that. I get that a lot where people say, oh my God, you've done so many things with your kids and here I am like yelling at them to eat them. I'm like, oh, trust me, I yell at my kids to eat the vegetables and go to go to bed and sure. do all that as well. I think the mindset shift is, it really comes down to how awesome can this be? And it's also, it's very empathy based. So if you connect back to that seven year old that you were and think about that feeling and then you have that ability to do that with your kid and not put things on them, but get behind them. So we all tell our kids like, you can be anything you want and go for your dreams and okay. And then the kid goes to the bedroom and they're like, okay, I can be anything I want. Like what's that next thing? So if we're going to tell our kids that they can be anything they want and we want to tell our kids to go follow their dreams, well, we have to realize also that they don't have the power to do that. They can dream all the dreams, but it takes us to get behind those dreams with, with some time and commitment and action and, and the, the, the encouragement and a little bit of forward thinking. And then that stuff actually starts to happen. Well, and too, at a certain point you said like, you know, they go to their room and they're thinking and they're dreaming like, and you said your daughter's 16 now and she's reflecting back on like, this is crazy. Like nobody does this. Like I have this huge advantage, but like, I feel like probably for most kids, like your daughter excluded, um, at a certain point you stop having those big dreams and you just settle into the reality of like, this is how the real world is. And I'm just gonna live well, in it. And even for adults. Right. Sure. The, the simple, like you said, the mindset shift, what, what could make this great? Like what's possible here? What, you know, ask for, try something. What is it like 80% of the, the population say that they want to write a book and less than 2% ever even attempt to put a piece of paper and a pencil in their hand. And there's a very good reason why and a very good reason why. And, and there's a lot of, a lot of research around this is that like you just said, we have those dreams as kids, but then at some point along the way, usually around 10 years old, somebody will tell them that that's not possible. 
and mm -hmm. or something will occur that will derail them from that. And it happens to all of us. We can all go back to points in our life where, where we were told that we were less than, or we were told that we were nuts for thinking this or that, or that won't happen, or that's just not how the world works. Now think about this, as adults, if somebody says, you, know, you guys can't do a podcast, that's, that's impossible. What would you say? Well, yes, we can because of this, 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 and this. As kids, you don't have that ability. Yeah. To, you don't have that experience and ability. You just accept face value what you're told. So you can't do that. Okay, well, an adult told me I can't do that. I can't do that. Or this kid that I respect on the playground because I want to be his friend told me that I'm nuts for wanting to be an astronaut. So those actually turn into limiting beliefs that carry through to adulthood. Yeah. So if a big part of my mission is, is to get the kids and uh, get to parents and, and kids when those kids are six, seven years old, which is a very magical time because at six, seven years old, they're, they're beyond the fantasy world, but they still have the, the faith and trust in it to a point. Mm -hmm. But they're also starting to think critically. So their brain has developed into, um, oh, well, this is what a career is. And, oh, well, this is what somebody does for a living. So you can combine, and, and it's funny, looking back and, and trying to figure out how this whole thing worked. I got her at an age where she still believed that anything was possible, no matter what it was, fairies and everything. Everything still exists and everything's great. But I'm interested in this thing as maybe something I want to do as a job. Mm. And then when you combine those two things and put action yeah. behind that in, let's talk to Bobby McFerrin or let's talk to this fashion designer. Why would in her mind, well, I'm going to talk to that nice lady and she's going to give me some advice. Why wouldn't she? Yeah. Fast forward that to adult. Well, why, why ever would Michelle Smith answer your answer? My email or my letter. Who am I? Right. So there's a, there's a different, there's a different play here. We, we go in really early when anything is possible and we prove to them that anything really is possible. Mm. And it's funny, I've been told that I'm pie in the sky and I've been, I've heard, I've heard it all. I really have that. Well, this is just you and you happen on this one little thing and you know, we could never do it. And what I say to that is I've, if you think about in your own life, you're sitting at work and you get a letter from an eight-year-old kid saying, you inspire me and what you do yeah. really makes me want to do what you do. Can you give me some advice? Yeah. Are you going to go, ah, stupid kid, get out of here. I got other things to do. No, you're going to open your world up because you've just been validated You've just, not only have you been validated, but like you've just been filled up that, that somebody out there that you don't know, whether, and this, this goes for adults too. I, I've used this um, in my adult life, that somebody has looked at you and said, wow, you're worth it. You really impacted me just by being you and what you've done and what you've accomplished. Yeah. And that is very, very valuable. And every, to, to that point, Every letter that she ever wrote and every person I've ever reached, reached out to, the first, thing that come, the first thing that they say in a letter back or a phone call or email is thank you. 
Mm. We get gratitude back first thing because yeah. it filled up. And it's I such it's this. such a pure thing. It's too, such a great reminder to get like you know like let's say it's Bobby McFerrin. He's getting a letter from a sweet eight year old girl. It's not some you know, 19 year old that's trying to get their track out there for you to listen to and, you know, what, like get some angle, like it's a kid, you know? And the the thing too is, is it's also the message of the letter because we're very, with her, I explained to her very, very early on that some of the people you're writing to get letters all the time telling them that they're great. We're not going to tell them that they're great. Why, why, are you telling why are you writing a letter? You're not really telling them that their product is awesome, but you want to know about their process. Mm. You're coming, you're coming at it as a colleague. Yeah. You're, you're not saying I love your song. It's what inspires you. How did you make that song? Cause I want to make songs too. Completely different, completely different message. Right. Right. Not, I'm a super fan. It's like, right. no, no I really fan. just want to tap into your brilliance is what I want to do. <laughs> I want to be you someday. And I have a little bit of talent. I have the passion and the interest. I caution people to follow, make sure you're following your kids because mm-hmm. I've actually had the question of, well, if, if I want to get my kid into this career, who would I write to? Oh boy. And my answer is nobody. Because it's not your career to to create. It's your yeah. kid. It's your kid's interests. They're not you. So I I love this in so many ways. Just the consciousness of of engaging with our kids. Uh, and you're talking about like that six and seven year old brain set or mindset shift for kids. Uh, like I've noticed this with our oldest, with Allie. She's constantly now trying to quantify everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, well that, you know, that would be like, like a thousand pounds, right? Like I'm more like four pounds, but you know, and she's constantly trying to do that. And it's, it's, it is, it's that what's possible. What's, what, what's possible. What's permissible. Where can I go? She's trying to create her own set of, of her own ethos, I think. Right. And, and. Uh, you know, I, I love wait and listen for the moments when, you know, something uh, I want to be an astronaut comes up. Okay, let's go. How, Ed, how would we, how would listeners uh, ignite that kind of a conversation with their kids? Like, what's the question to ask or the, the moment to create to, to really open the door for it? Well, it's actually, it's actually kid-based. So there are two things that I tell parents to listen for. And they're, I hope and I wish. So you're always listening. If your kid says, I hope, stop and listen very carefully to what's going, what comes after those words. I hope and I wish. Because they're about to give you a little bit of an insight into their soul and say, and it could be something crazy, like I hope I get ice cream tomorrow. Okay, well, that's, that's an, but oh, I, I wish I could go here. Or I wish I could meet so-and-so or I wish I could do this. I've, I've used that. Um, paying attention, I hope, I hope, and I wish to create some incredible, incredible things. Um, I'll give you a really great example. And this is a lot of fun. And this is a very everyday moment that turned into something spectacular just from my hope and I wish. So my, I have, uh, I have a girl and two boys. So now they're 16, 14 and 12. So last year when my son was 11, 
there was a Led Zeppelin cover band coming around, uh, coming into Boston. They're, they're spectacular. It's called Get the Let Out. I'll give them a plug. Get the Let Out. They're amazing. <laughs> so my, my, son, my son likes Led Zeppelin, and I, I got tickets for all of us, and he was excited. And he says, Dad, I really hope they play the Immigrant Song. Now, I could have said, yeah, me too. I love that song. But I said, well, okay, how do you get them to play the Immigrant Song then? If you want to want them to play the immigrant song, let's get them to play the immigrant song for you. Yeah. Well, how would I do that? I'm like, well, hmm. they probably have a Facebook page, right? Or they probably have a website or they have something. Now we're a week out of the show, maybe, maybe six days out of the show. So we go on Facebook and there's a Facebook page and there's Messenger. So I clicked on Messenger and I said, there, send them a message. Tell them you want them to play the immigrant song. And it was like one of those things where like the cursor is like, oh my God, I can actually send them a message, you know? So he sends them this awesome, I left the room. I said, do whatever you want to do, like write him a message. And it was the best message ever. He was like, you know, my name is Nick and I have a thought and I think everybody would agree with my thought. And he, he sends him this message like this long about all the attributes of the immigrant song and how much it would mean to him that to play the immigrant song. So he sends it. And about two hours later, I, the woman who manages their page sends back and says, I'll let the guys know. Thanks for your message. And I said, Nick, see, even if they don't play it, you know that somebody listened to you. And he was pretty filled up. We go to the show and guess what they open with? They yeah. open with the one of them. His face, his mouth just hit the floor. And I leaned in, I'm like, guess who they're playing that song for? No one else. <laughs> we, go back to the, we go back to the meet and greet after the show. He walks up to the lead singer and he says, I'm Nick. He says, you're the kid who wanted the immigrant song. Oh, my God. Guys, come over here. Next thing you know, he's sitting on a table with the whole band. They're all high-fiving him. They're, they're signing everything that he has. It was just because he said, I hope they play the immigrant song. Oh. Brilliant. He has a memory that he will never forget. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Ed, you're doing it right. You're doing it right. Okay. So I have to know, like you've got your TEDx talk. I know you have a book and another one that you're working on. What is the best way for our audience to connect with you and what you're doing? So right through my website, it's edgoyette.com, which I'm sure there'll be a link there. So it, yes. um, just send me a message right through the website. Uh, connect with me on Facebook, uh, my, my Facebook page. I, I love having people connect with me there. The books should be out uh, beginning of next year. And all this stuff has happened so fast that yeah. I'm doing a lot of catch up with a lot of writing and a lot of, uh, a lot of getting things together. So if you need anything from Ed, just ask, right? Uh, and that's what I tell everyone. I do a lot <laughs> lately and I, I absolutely love it when people reach out for either advice or inspiration uh, you will always 100% get a response from me. <laughs> oh, I love it. Ed, thanks so much awesome, for joining man. us on the Thank show you. today. It's been a pleasure. This has been great. Okay, we just love interviewing amazing people like Ed yeah. to inspire us to um, challenge, to think bigger and dream bigger and just be better human beings. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I'm inspired to kick my parenting up a notch. Yeah. Really? I feel like I'm just a confession. It's about time, honey. A confession here. 
I want my kids to love <laughs> the things that I love. Mm. <laughs> I'm just saying. This is shocking new information. <laughs> Miss, they have to play volleyball. <laughs> Miss, have I told you about broomball yet, kids? Oh, but I feel like if they love me, they would love what I love. Indeed. Come on, you were supposed to nail me on that. That was just bait, honey. That was just bait. I I think creating that external dependency might be a little... (laughs) Codependent. Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) what if... And I'm just... This is a big what if. Yeah. What if the kids actually love you and have different interests? I'm sure that that is how it will play out. (laughs) All right. And now the talk about it segment of the show. Each week we bring you, we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. All right. So here's your conversation starter question. What is an interest or hobby or activity you can explore with your kids? Mm -hmm. Now make sure it's something that they are interested in. Not what I'm interested in. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's that's the gist <laughs> of the whole conversation that's with very Ed. very challenging, but it yes. Is, yeah. Feed into yeah. their interests. Okay, yeah. that's it for today's show. And you can find out so much more about what's going on in this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 141. And again, we're talking about today's topic and Ed's talk and so much more from the podcast uh, over in our free community on Facebook, legendarymarriage.com slash community. All right. Lastly, do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're yes, doing please. and other couples can find us. If you snap a screenshot of your review and share it on our Facebook page, we will draw two lucky names at the end of the month this time. Uh, you win a signed copy of a book from one of our guests oh. or other cash and prizes. Super fun. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you. Don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Uh, make yours legendary. Legendary.